Thank you for listening to audio from Glen Meadows Baptist Church. We hope it blesses you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you are not a current member of Glen Meadows, we encourage you to visit one of our services, Sundays at 9 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 6.30 p.m. If you would turn in your Bibles to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 20. And in Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 12, we'll pick up where we left off last week concerning the Ten Commandments. And as you know, these Ten Commandments are for today. Some would say, no, those are Old Testament. They don't apply. Well, Jesus didn't think that. Jesus said, I came to establish the law, not to abolish the law. Jesus took the Ten Commandments and actually upped them. I mean, he upped the game. And he made statements like this. He said, Moses says, do not steal. But I say, if you covet in your heart, you've already done it. Moses says, do not commit adultery. But if I say, if you lusted, you've already done it. Moses said, do not murder. But I say, if you hate someone, you've already done it. And so he raised the level to show us what the law was to show us and to demonstrate. The law was given so that it would be a schoolmaster. It would be a teacher. It would be a guide to where we would follow this law and we'd come to some two conclusions, at least two. The first of which, God is holy. Don't forget that. God is holy. And the second, we are not. We're separated. So we need His guidance, His leadership in our life. And as you yield and submit to that, your life changes. Radically good. So what we have in the Ten Commandments, as you know, Moses goes up to the mountain. Uh, Israel had been, in the world, had been in slavery for 400 years. God brings them out in a miraculous way, keeping His covenant. Now think about this for a second. Keeping His promise to Israel, but they still stayed in slavery for 400 years. You may think, what good did that do if you were, in four number thir- if you were living in year number 129 and you probably didn't make it to year 200? And here your whole life, you were born in slavery, you endured slavery, and you died in slavery. But yet God at the same time says, I keep my covenant, I keep my promise. And so we learn from that. This is an important lesson. We learn from that, that God isn't necessarily uh, committed to our comfort. Okay. Now that, that rakes up against the idea that uh, God is an American and he's Caucasian because of all the pictures of Jesus, you know, he's, he's blonde-haired and has blue eyes, and he looks like a, a Swiss a ski Olympian, right? And so we have this idea that he just wants our economy to go great, and he wants, he wants no one to go under persecution. He wants my husband to be perfect, and my wife to be perfect, and my kids to be perfect. And, 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 and when things are just right, and I've got the right job, and my spouse is acting just right, or my parents are treating me right, then that means that God is with me. Let's go back to Israel, 400 years in slavery. It's pretty tough. God is not concerned with your comfort as much as He is concerned with your holiness. And when I alter my heart to see it the way God does, then I realize that, you know what? In the world, I will have tribulation but I will be of good cheer because he overcame the world. It's a tough lesson. In fact, when Jesus would speak like that, he would say this. He would say, those who have ears to hear, listen. Those who have eyes to see, see. And it's a major transition that you and I must take within our heart. God is not here. He's not our 
you know, like our, our little would-be store-bought God that we have in a box. And when we need him, we pull him down, we rub his belly and up he pops and he does really cool miracles. And that's why I believe in him. Get that view, that American view of God out of your mind. And let's join the rest of the world throughout the ages, throughout the geography of how they see God. And that is, if you're living in China, you see him very different than him being your errand boy. Is that clear? So here's the commandments. The Lord our God is Yahweh and all that He is. He is holy. He is all-powerful. Things work at His time, not my time. Brace yourself. Um, God doesn't exist for you. You exist for God. Can I say that? Some of us have the the philosophy of a cat instead of a dog. I'm not against cats. But we all know that all dogs go to heaven and all cats go, well, never mind. So a dog looks at you. If you own a dog, my dogs, this is just true. Um, I have, I had, we have three dogs and I'm babysitting another one and, that, and I let him out of his little kennel and we went outside and I could tell he's a Methodist because he sprinkled my boots, you know, just, he did. And... If he was a Baptist, I would have been in big trouble, right? <laughs> so, uh, but you know what? They really think I'm something. I mean, I, I, wish, I wish my kids saw me like that, you know? So here's what my dogs think. This dude feeds me. He gives me a, a house. He must be God. That's what a dog thinks. You know what a, cow, a cat thinks? You feed me. You change my litter box. I must be God. That's a cat, right? <laughs> now, some of you have a cat view towards God. Come on, God. You, you give me a house. You give me cable. Got me a cell phone. But my friends, actually, they have a nicer car and a nicer house. So, God, you need to step it up a little bit because it's all about me. Ten Commandments completely radically changes that view and your view if you let it. If you have eyes to see and ears to hear, it kind of sounds like a riddle. But if you're willing to be open, listen to this, and it will change your whole life. It really will. So God says, look, I'm God. You're not. I'm God. Tonight, as we're continuing prayer school, I'll be teaching tonight about how Jesus says he's teaching us how to pray in the Lord's Prayer. And he says, our Father who art in heaven, and we are going to dissect uh, all the names of God and begin to look at it, and it will radically change you. Um, so I remember when I was dating my wife, uh, she, you know, she, she saw me at a concert. She got really impressed. She became a roadie, so I married her. Um, that's, that's, that's the true version. Chris has a different version. That one's not true. But uh, as we were dating, I remember praying, saying, God, I don't, how, am I gonna, how do I know who the right person is for me? And, and it was as if the Lord gave me three things. One, uh, when, you, when you play games or you play with somebody, you get to know them. Because some people cheat. Did you know that? That's a problem. When you work with somebody, you get to know them. You learn if they're thorough and consistent. You learn what kind of ethics they have. You learn a lot about people when you work. In fact, let me say this, businessmen and people who work, <laughs> which is all of us, uh, 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 business is the venue of disciple making. 
We do a lot in classes. We do a lot in life group. But when you're at a job for 40 to 60 to 80 hours a week and you're cranking it out, that's where you see the ups, the downs, the pay. That's where you see submission. That's where you see, that's where discipleship is made. And use your work. See your work as an avenue to change the world. It's phenomenal when you start to see it that way. You will have a different boss, a different employee. You will have a different career if you start seeing work like that. So when you work with somebody, you really get to know what they're like. And also when you pray with somebody, you really get to know what they're like. And those are just three ways. And so this is if the Lord gave me that. So Chris and I went through a book together while we were dating called The Attributes of God by Henry, by uh, A.W. Pink. And uh, just a really good read, really good. And just went through the names of God and then what it revealed about God and his character. After all, if this is all about God, then why don't we get to know him, right? Let's get to know what he's like. So in the, the he says, his name. He gives his name. Moses says, who are you? He says, Yahweh. I'm the to be verb. What's that? I am who I am. Get to know me. That's what he's saying. Then he says, don't bow down to anything else. Well, why would you if you know he's Yahweh? Well, a lot of people bow down to other things because they don't know he's Yahweh. They don't know like he is the provider. They don't know like he is the comforter. He is the peace. He, he truly is the one that, that is over everything. And as you begin to know the very character of God, you don't run to other gods. And oftentimes we do. And the reasons we run to other gods is because of either pleasure or fear. And because of these things is fear that produces all kinds of bad stuff. It's like sand in the machinery of life. Fear begins to grind down on your soul and it changes you and makes you and I do some crazy things that are just wrong. And we'll get to that in just a second. So don't bow to any other God. Why would you want to? Because God is saying, I'm Yahweh, come to me. Don't bow to any other gods. In fact, the way to cement this down is the third verb and let's practice Sabbath. The third commandment. Let's practice Sabbath. What is Sabbath? Well, we know it's not Saturday anymore. And, and the Lord's Day is actually something else. It's a day that we gather ourselves together uh, for Bible study, for worship. And we as a congregation, those that are claiming to be a part of Glen Meadows, we show up. We get, we, we get involved. We get discipled. We worship. We do these things. We love. We do these things. But Sabbath is a little bit different. Hebrews 4, I hope some of you got a chance to go and read that. We didn't have time to go over it in the message. But Hebrews 4 describes the Sabbath rest, and that is Jesus. He is the Sabbath rest. And so what we do... Listen, we get involved in slowed down Christianity. Just stop the bus. Get it. Has anybody ever worked a jackhammer before? They're heavy. They come in 60 pound, 80 pound, I think, if I remember right. And they're usually, some of them, now they have them electric. When I would work them, they were, they were operated by, they're pneumatic, they run, and they're heavy. And, and so what you have to do is when you're looking at your weekly schedule, which is in cement or other people cement it for you, you got to get the jackhammer out and you have to bust it up. And then you put the pieces back together of your schedule to make sure that you are slowed down. And you spend every morning, spend time with God. Or if you work at night, when you come home or however you work your schedule. For me, it's good for the morning. And you just silence, meditate in the word, uh, prayer, being led by the spirit, being driven by the word of God, worship. And then, and then when you want to do a Sabbath, listen, this is just something important. When you want to do a Sabbath, you really set aside some time. That's up to you and God, but make it, make it as much as you can. And so what that third command does, it is for today. It's not the Sabbath that Israel practiced. And so we're not Sabbatarian dealing with the, cal the calendar from, uh, from, from, from the night of Friday to the 
when, when night starts on Friday, when you can see the first three stars and, and night on Saturday, the first three stars, it's, it's just that period. No, for us, it's, it's between you and the Lord and you, you get a Sabbath rest and you slow down your Christianity. Um, you know what? If you're up at the church all the time, stop. You're here too much. Some of you aren't here enough, but that's another story, another sermon. But if you're here all the time, chill, slow down. Take it easy. Stop running. Stop chasing. Your kids don't have to be in every single sport. They don't. Sometimes it's just staying home and just being a family and just resting. So you get that. So when things are working vertically with God, you know who He is. You don't bow down to the things that distract, that push you and pull you. Then, then you, you learn to rest in the Lord to where it, it doesn't, listen, it doesn't do any good to know who he is and not allow him to touch you. Right? It doesn't do any good just to say, yeah, I know you're there and help me out and I've got this big test, help me pass it. But yet not really come up and let him minister to you in the way we can teach you how this all happens. So once you get that, you get the vertical right then you get the horizontal right. And that's where we're moving into this fourth commandment. It's got to be in that order. Because when I'm right with God and I'm peaceful with Him and He satisfies all of my needs, I'm not trying to extract everything out of other people, out of my job and out of my spouse or out of my kids or out of my parents. I'm just, I'm comfortable with the Lord. And I'm not expecting my spouse to be perfect or my kids to be perfect or my parents to be perfect. I'm not expecting my life to go the way I want it to go because I know God is Lord and I don't bow down to anything else and I rest in Him. Therefore, I can be a blessing to others. Let me say this. If there's a lot of people in your life that irritate you, you're the problem. You just are. Now, I probably wouldn't say that to your face, but I can say it to 600 faces right here. That's a lot easier for me to say that. But it's the truth. If you have lots of problems with lots of people, you got a problem. Now, you're, there's jerks out there, right? And, and you're one of them. I'm one of them, right? We can be jerky. We can be that. But there's a lot of those kinds of people out there. There are. And... But it's interesting that when my vertical is right, I'm able to handle those people really well. And it doesn't, things don't fall apart within my soul. Like, oh no, I gotta fix them. No, you don't. So here we come to this commandment. Honor, look, let's read it, not out loud, but just read it together. Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Now, this is three subjects here, and the subjects has to do with children, it has to do with parenting, and it has to do with a national blessing, and that's what we're talking about. So the first is to honor your parents, and this is speaking to children. And so when we break this down, we realize that all of Israel, they were called, and we're talking about the community of God because it was a theocracy, right? It was a theocracy. God ruled through the people, through Israel, and Israel was to be an example to the rest of the world, and Israel was like the church in a sense. Only in that they were the light to the world as we are a light to the world. So we have a lot in common with Israel in that perspective. And so God is establishing things. Before we go off into anything that's legal, civil, ceremonial, moral, I want you to understand this. It all starts in the home. Children, here's what you do. Now, 
it doesn't say children, it just says honor your parents, but obviously it's speaking to children. And I think this is, prim- this is speaking probably not to little children, but to adults. And it just says honor your parents. So we are to show honor all through the, all through the Old Testament. Uh, and I, I can go through tons of verses, Leviticus 28 through 11 and Deuteronomy 21, 18 through 21. And it goes on and just continues to show that we are to show honor. And that is something that I see completely drifting in our society. There are a lot of, we have orphans, but we also have orphaned parents that for some reason or another, maybe distance, that there's a lot of our gray-haired people, and this is becoming more and more important to me these days, that, that there is a neglect and even a dishonor towards the elderly. You watch the game shows, you watch the sitcoms, you watch uh, all the different daytime conversations, and they focus on the youth because that's where a lot of the, the, the credit card spending goes. I mean, just to be honest, that's where all the commercials are getting to, the young that don't know you shouldn't just rake up a lot of debt. And so all the commercials are focused towards the opinion of the young, and they seem to rule. They really do, even though they don't really vote, but they seem to rule. And it's sad in light of this verse. You see it real well when you go to places like India, and when an elderly woman comes by, the men stop and they tip their hats and they, they show great honor. When you get on the subways when you're in uh, Uzbekistan or, or Turkey and you see how an elderly woman comes on and they do everything they can to make sure that person is very comfortable. In our society, the elderly are somewhat neglected, somewhat. Now I realize when we look at this verse, I wanna bring up an exception clause if I can, a very important one. And that is there's a lot of people that that when you see this verse and it says, honor your mother and father, something that jumps up in your mind is, I have parents who aren't very honorable. In fact, I, have, I know of people, and, and, or I, you may be thinking I had a father who was very abusive. And you read a verse like this, and you, read, you hear what Jesus says, when you pray, pray our father, and you're like, look, I don't refer to God as father because I've had bad experiences in that situation. And that is a reality. It's a reality in our world. But dear brother, dear sister, listen to me. That was not by God's design. That was out of the free moral agent, the free choice of some man or some woman to become the kind of person that isn't very honorable. And God isn't asking us, literally, to obey anyone who wants you to do something unbiblical, unethical, or immoral, right? Never do we cross that line. Anything in something that's unbiblical, unethical, or immoral. In fact, sometimes, let me say this. Sometimes in drastic situations, the, most, the, the best way to honor a wayward child or a wayward parent is to draw a boundary. Sometimes that, it's called tough love. Some call it that. And so sometimes that's the honorable way to do it. And, and you might need to have a conversation. Listen, uh, because of this and because of that, there has to be a little bit, there has to be some boundaries here and there. They won't understand. They'll be really mad, but you be very clear. That's the way it goes. And In every single generation, we've had to have that conversation because in every single generation, there have been some parents that aren't very honorable at times or their whole life. And so I want you to know that there still is a way to honor the people who aren't honorable. And it's with attitude. It's with genuine care. It's with genuine love. Sometimes it includes boundaries. But what we're talking about here is the way you want to raise your family and the way you want to become an honorable parent, and the way I want to raise my family. 
And so just because I am sinful and people are sinful and we're not as sinful, many of us are not as sinful as we could be, we still draw the line that we want to see what God's will is and God's design. If we keep following and trying to answer the will of the wayward people, then we never get back to God's design. Does that make sense? There is a design for a way that... uh, that a couple relates to one another. There's a way that parents relate to children, and there's a way that children relate to parents. And he is saying here, honor your father and your mother. It's a command of God. Jesus reified that over and over again. And so here's what it is. Parents, you should be honorable. Children, you should honor your parents. So how can you honor your parents? Time, which I know that Makes your stomach turn because time is something you ain't got, right? It's letters. Letters. Who does that anymore? But you get the point. It's contact. It's, it's notes. How do you honor parents? It's, listen to this. This one's a tough one. Immediate obedience. You want to freak your parents out? You want to put them in cardiac arrest? Children, listen, if you're at home. You obey your parents immediately. When they say something, don't make them say it twice. Clean your room means clean your room. Make your bed means make your bed. You don't have to wait till veins pop out of their face before it means make your bed. Parents, don't let it get that far. Don't let it get that far. Your word needs to be your word and the consequences follow right after that. Very, very simple. If you have to be the third or fourth or fifth time or make your bed doesn't mean make your bed until your face is all red, then that's your fault, not your kid's fault. Just is. So kids, if you want to flip your parents out, just be obedient. That shows incredible amount of honor. It's easy. You're going to do it anyway. Trust me. At my house, you will. You're going to do it anyway. You might as well do it the first time. It's just, it's, it's a way of showing honor. Children, honor your mother and father. Show love. Show respect. Show obedience. Uh, be caring. Uh, you know what will happen? It's really interesting the way this works. Uh, once you, once you do these things, you'll be amazed of how much freedom you have in your house. You'll be amazed of, of how much joy there is when you children begin to honor, children at home begin to honor mother and father. Now, parents, what does this mean? So this is, this is a directive to the nation of Israel, to all of us, of raising a generation under the first three commandments so that a right relationship with God translates into a right home. So it's a problem when the core of our being is imprinted by our parents. The core of our being is an imprintation of our parents. One lady came in one time for counseling and says, man, I have problems with my mom. What is it? I don't know why she can push my buttons so hard and so fast than any other person. How can she do that? And I said, well, she's the one that put the buttons there. That's how she can do that. And so there's an imprinting that takes place in parenting. And so you need to be very careful and deliberate in the way that you imprint upon your children. And the way that you imprint, as you've heard us talk about many times, that my job as a parent is to take a child from parent-controlled to self-controlled to God-controlled in that order. And if parent-control never takes place, then neither will self-control and neither, neither will God-control. And that's how we have dishonorable mothers and fathers because that process doesn't take place. Let me show an exception, though. Kids still have a free will. They still have a sinful nature. They still have peer preference. These drawings from the inside and drawings on the outside. So you can do everything right and a child can still rebel and can stay in rebellion. We all know that. That's just true. It happens all the time. 
But my responsibility before God is to do my best and to making a child go from self-controlled, some parent-controlled to self-controlled to God-controlled. And that's the way we do it. Admiral William McRae spoke at Texas A&M at a commencement address. He is head of all of the Navy, or was at the time. And he entitled his message, speaking to the graduating class at A&M, Make Your Bed. And he went on to describe what, it ha- what happens to you when you make your bed every single morning. It's the small things that lead to the big things. And when you make your bed, it's actually at least one thing you know that you've accomplished, an obstacle that you overcame, a responsibility that you fulfilled, and if nothing ever nothing else goes right the rest of the day, you made your bed. You can look the speech up on, on YouTube. In fact, over on one of the videos, 8,700,000 views. It's a very popular view. Go watch it. It's incredible. It's very good. McRae goes on to speak of how even when he excelled and, and how after you make your bed, then you accomplish one task and then you find another task that you overcome an obstacle and you overcome that and et cetera, et cetera. Next thing you know, you're an individual or you're a child that accomplishes things with positive awards. You make your bed, you get breakfast, something like that. So he said when he was a SEAL and they were in buds and they were in the oppressive camps where they're running them through, you know, bad weeks and there they were at the last day, over half the class had already ringed out and they're no longer apart. And there they were, a few of the guys in mud that was freezing up to their neck and they were washing them down with water and they had to spend all night there. And he, and he, he said he reflected back that even though this is a crummy time, a major obstacle, because he's learned to overcome obstacles with responsibility, he was going to make it through. And he said that he eventually, he and all the guys began to sing songs. And it's interesting, they went to hymns and they began to sing these things. And all the drill sergeants were washing with water, commanding them not to sing anymore. They just kept singing. And it was the only way they could get out. And here's the point. He was saying, listen, having known that I've overcome obstacles, having hope that pulls you out of the mud is something very, very important. It's a track record you learn. And he says, by making your bed. Jordan Peterson does the same kind of thing. Jesus does the same kind of thing. In fact, that's where they got it. Jesus says, when you're faithful with the small things... God will give you greater things. But a lot of us never learn, and parents, this is what we do. We teach the honorable things. Man, making, making bed at your house may not be that big a deal. I don't want to pick on that. You may, you may be a bunch of messy bed people. I don't care. But there's at least something. There's got to be things. There's got to be structure. There's got to be order. There's got to be discipline. There has to be care and love. And these are the things that push, but there's also got to be the things that pull. The things that pull are the great times. It's the picnics. I want to see a show of hands. I really want you to answer this question. How many of you have ever flown a kite? Let me see. Okay. Some of you haven't. That's okay. It's, it's not that hard of a skill. It's not. The kite does all the work. The wind blows. You run. You kid it. You get it up, and you just go, and then you just watch it. it it's actually a lot of things happening you know, in the atmosphere, scientifically, but it's also a lot of things that aren't happening. You're just sitting there holding it. And, it, and for some reason, kids really like it. They like making dolls. They like making paper airplanes. You know how you spell love with a child? T-I-M-E. That's how you spell love to a child. With a child, forget this quality time. They want quantity time. And to have quantity time, you have to jackhammer up your schedule and fit it in <clears throat> so that you can be the parent. 
and you can be there and you can have fun. You can have simple, low cost, low budget, high impact events with children that is a pull. And then when you have that pull effect, like they want to be with you, then it literally changes everything. That's the children. But then as you see how we as children love our parents, and I want to encourage us to have an eye for the orphaned parents who don't have kids around. Many of them might be in the nursing home. A lot of them are, are, are just wishing someone young would be around them. They love to be around the young and just make their day. It's so easy. It doesn't take a lot, but just look to that, particularly in the body of Christ and the household of God. And then as a parent working with children, teaching just the responsibilities, the push type things, but more of the pull type things of love and, and joy and in, engaging times, hearing their dreams. But then he changes this to the third issue, and it is nationalistic. And look at the verse. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land. Now, some translations would say so that you'll live long or your days will be long specifically. And it makes it sound like it's very self-centered. But actually what this is saying, a better translation is you as a nation, that's what he's talking about Israel, you all will live in the land. That word land, there's two different words that could have been used. One means wilderness, which they just got out of. You say wilderness to the Jews, they know what you're talking about. It's on the backside of the Negev, down, down in, in the wilderness. Wilderness meaning sand. Sand. You don't have Nikes, you got sandals, right? That's why they're called sandals, right? Full of sand, between the toes, hurt, pain, for f a long time. So he's, he's saying, you will live long, you as a nation will live long over the covenant, the agreement with God in this land for a long time. Now he's talking about how an individual changes a family and how a family changes a nation. Now we got a lot of problems in our nation. The biggest problem that I can see is hatred. It has all kinds of forms and, and, and presentations that hatred reveals itself. It, it reveals itself in just pure neglect, in prejudice. And by the way, if you are a prejudiced person or you don't know that you are yet, um, you cannot know the love of God at all. Prejudice has no place in the body of Christ. And as Billy Graham said, the greatest condemnation on the church in America has been prejudice. And so when, when we think of Martin Luther King and men like that and Rosa Parks and all these people who have been high-standing people standing up virtuously for the commands of the Lord, we need to run their, their flag up the pole every single time. When a Southern Baptist pastor leads a nation in changing their view towards prejudice, we need to say, that's a godly man and a good man. You cannot read Scripture and think poorly of another person because of their lot in life economically, racially, religiously, in any way, in any form. So if there's a righteous bone in your body, you have a corrupt soul. Bottom line. Is that clear? If it's not clear, come see me. We can have an appointment. This is a serious issue within our country to belittle any kind of person because of what they believe or how they act or their skin color or what they like to buy, whatever it is. You just need to read the gospel you got to read it. You need to sink down in your soul and you become a person that loves like God loves. That it don't matter what somebody wears, what somebody looks like. Let's talk about what we wear, by the way. Nationalistically, we have become a group of groups. We all have our tribes. We all have our people groups. And boy, do we like to look like them, think like them, 
vote like them, pray like them, act like them in every single way. Now, you've got to notice this. Most of us choose echo chambers to live in, right? And you know what an echo chamber is. You just hear your own voice over and over and over, even though you're in a crowd of people. We like our tribes and we like them very well. And we stay center line with our tribes. You may be liberal, you may be conservative, you may be whatever. You, you know what? You know, when I was uh, younger and I'd go on a construction site with my dad and I'd work after school in the summers and we'd work on new construction and there you'd have the plumbers and you'd have the welders, you'd have the electricians, you'd have the laborers, you'd have the engineers. And it's interesting, I noticed right off, I could tell who was who by what they wore, right? You know, what, you know, you know occupations by people, what they wear. You know, the welders had those little bitty hats that had a small little bill and they all wore those hats. Just like that painters, they all wore white. The plumbers, they all wore these khaki gray pants and the, the electricians, they always had jeans on with a tucked in button up shirt and their tools around and, and they all kind of had their tribes that they fit in. And I'd always notice them like that, I don't know why. And, and then an engineer would walk in. We know our police officers that way. You can tell a Texas Ranger because you have a docker type pants with a white starch shirt with a tie and a big badge right here and a, and a Stetson, right? That's a Texas Ranger. Uh, a deputy sheriff, he looks very different. We all have our tribes. We do this socially. You, I, I can spot a welder walking down the street. I can see an oil. You can just tell people. But we also choose our tribes in just our casual life. You know why I wear what I wear? Because you wear what you wear. I want to fit in. Sometimes I wear a suit and people get freaked out. Why are you wearing a suit? I don't know. Because <laughs> all my dirty clothes were dirty, I guess. <laughs> I just pulled a, just pulled a thing out. I remember one time, true story, true story. I first moved here. I didn't get to know everybody at once. And I was remodeling my house and I was all sweaty. I was stinky. I was dirty. And so, <clears throat> man, I needed to relax. And, you know, we just had some Kool-Aid, but I needed something more harder, a little adult beverage. So I went over to Albertsons and I got me some milk and Oreos because that's how I relax. <laughs> you know how you, you can train your body to relax if your go-to drink is like lemonade or tea, or you mix the two, Arnold Palmer, you know what I'm saying? And you learn how to do that, or you get you a, a, a real expensive coffee thing, and you sit back in your body. Whatever you choose, it's amazing. People say, I've got to have a shot of this, and it's some adult, real adult type stuff. You don't need that. You don't. Just train your soul to realize, you know, a glass of milk and Oreos, and watching Ponderosa. Man, I can just... <laughs> it helps my soul. So I went to the store, and I'm all sweaty. I'm all... You could smell me before you saw me, Okay. Just, you got the picture? So I go down this aisle, I see this lady I think I know, and then I, and then, then I go down another aisle, and then I, I see her coming again, and then all of a sudden, uh, this person says, do I know you? And I go, I, I don't know, I, I'm the pastor of Glenn. I was, yeah, you're my pastor, you just, you just look so different. <laughs> Why would you look different? And I'm like, I don't know. And so the next Sunday night, they were at church, and, and I saw her, and it was after the service, and there's a group of people down here, and she says this, just like, I'll tell you exactly what she said. She said, hey, Pastor Mac, sorry I didn't recognize you with your clothes off. <laughs> and I said, stop, everybody stop. <laughs> Would you explain out loud what you mean by that? And she said, yeah, you just were in shorts, you didn't have your tie and jacket on. I said, thank you for explaining that to everybody, what you mean. So let me explain what's going on. It's a, it's a fear of rejection, some of that. It's a desire for acceptance, it's some of that. We wanna be a part. It's because we have these needs. And I'm, I'm, look, 
I think it's good that we all look alike if we want to. That's good. I style is great. That's creativity. It's fantastic. I'm not knocking that. If you plumbers want to dress like plumbers, the painters want to dress like painters or whatever, that's fine. Uh, soccer moms dress like soccer moms, et cetera, et cetera. That's not a problem with that. But think about it. Why? Why aren't we in long robes like they are in the other part of the world? Why aren't we, you know, wearing sardis like they do in India? Why? That's because we like to be like our tribes. Why? Well, um, we have a fear of rejection. We have a desire to fit in. I mean, I I get it. I'm part of it. I I experienced that. Here's my point. Sometimes we join tribes because we like the affirmation of some of the wrong things we do. Sometimes we, we identify with groups so that we can have, we can live in our echo chambers of just people verifying the values that we want to have when they're really not that good at times. So the peer, instead of calling it peer pressure, maybe we should call it peer preference that we choose certain pressures that are in life. In fact, we choose hobbies, we choose sins at times with the groups that we hang out with. We, we, we choose to overspend as some of the groups we hang out with, or we choose to be greedy like some of the ch- people we wanna hang out with, or we, we run to drugs or pornography, we run to adulterous relationships, we run to these things that create bondage. Because what we're doing is we're trying to mask all these things that are missing within our heart. And so instead of God saying, honor your mother and father so you can live long in the land, if we don't get this one right, we're probably going to get all the other ones wrong. And so therefore, you need to come to me. You need to understand that I am Yahweh God. You are to bow down to nothing else. You're not to go to any other thing to gain your reputation or your identity. You are to go to me only. And so let me, let me ask the question, is the majority of how you feel about yourself, the imprintation of the way you see yourself, is it a reflection of Facebook or Twitter, or is it in the mirror with the Word of God seeing how God sees you? I mean, you, 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 stay, in, you stay in the Word of God more than you do listening to Nickelback. You'd probably be a little bit better off of having, I'm not saying you can't listen to that. I'm just saying there's a lot of things going on in those lyrics that are destructive to you bowing down to other gods. Bottom line. Now what happens when you go to all these other gods? You lose your vertical by not going to Yahweh God. Your horizontal begins to change your relationship with other people. And you begin to get addicted to certain affirmations or feelings or pleasures that takes you down the wrong path. You know what Jesus said about this? Do not fear the one that can take your body. Fear the one who can destroy your soul in hell forever. So the fear of not being accepted makes us want to quiesce or become like others. The fear of not being filled makes us run to things that fill us up temporarily. So God says, don't fear these things, but fear with reverence and love the one that can change your soul. Let me, let me say this. The first three, God is saying, come to me, and I will love you. I will take care of you. I will be your shepherd. I will make you lay down in green pastures. I will restore your soul, even though there's been abuse in the family, or there's abuse in the community, or 
there's abuse towards prejudice towards you in way or any fashion. The Lord is saying this, I am your father. I am ultimately your shepherd. I am the one that tends to you and cares for you and feeds you. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. The greatest thing that can happen to us as a congregation is for the holiness of God to be blanketed upon us, that God is holy and he cares and he loves you and he wants you to come to him in a holy way. The greatest thing that can happen to us is we as individuals acknowledge that. And the greatest thing that can happen to our community is it for, for it to be reflected in our families and everything begins to change. But it starts with you. It starts with you. Don't run after other gods. Worship Yahweh. Take time for your families. Honor your mother and father. Raise your children in the admonition of the Lord. And watch what God does to your soul. Thank you again for listening to audio from Pastor Mac Roller at Glenmeadows Baptist Church. For previous sermons and more information, please check out our website at gmbc.org.